Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Is, do you love the Lord? I can't hear you. I told you it was a catchy ser- a sermon title, so I shall ask it over. Do you love the Lord? Amen. That's better. Then how is your walk? Somewhere along the line you have heard someone say, your actions speak so loud I can't hear what you say. We've used that many, many times. I want you, if you will, to hold open your Bible to that passage because we're going to deal with a number of verses in this particular passage of Scripture that we read here from 1 John. And certainly we will recognize that there needs to be some harmony between that which we say and that which we do. So that there is the ability to hear that which we say correlating to that which we do, making our testimony, do you love the Lord, and you responded, amen, to have meaning. But how is your walk? In the fifth verse, we find the words that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And immediately then, he says in the sixth verse, if we say, that indicates a verbal communication, a verbal assertion, which you made in answering my question. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness. What are we? See what he says? We lie. There must be a correlation, a harmony, again I repeat, between our profession and our conduct. Look at the seventh verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from our sins. Let me give you the sheets translation of that verse. Those of you who come on Wednesday night are acquainted with this translation. It's, it's what I uh, feel that it is saying. If we walk with God as Jesus walked with God, Can you put those words there? If we walk in the light as he, that is, as Jesus is in the light. If we walk with God as Jesus walked with God, then there are some things that transpire. And it's those things that I want you to notice. And the first one I want you to notice is the word fellowship. If we walk with God as Jesus walked with God, we have fellowship with each other. David said, 
I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This ought to be a time of great anticipation for us as well. Because we are anxious to have fellowship with each other, and of course with God. But we certainly, and, and you express this on Sunday morning and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and it's, it's encouraging to see people smile and shake hands and hug because we're glad to see each other. That ought to be a normal expression of the Christian for a fellow Christian because we are so glad to see each other for we have something in common. We are delight, we delight ourselves in having this fellowship. Paul said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. We ought to delight in fellowshipping with each other. I hope that we will do that Wednesday night, that we'll see this church full of people who want to come to church, that we can fellowship with each other in the praise of God's name. All right. Look at the second word, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. But I want you to think in terms here a little differently than maybe you normally think of this verse. When we read this verse, we usually think it's saying, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me of my sin when I accept him, and that's the end of it. But that's not the content of this verse. It's not talking about the person who accepts Christ and the cleansing of his sins. It's talking about the cleansing, the continual process of cleansing your sin and mine as God's children. It's a continuing process, not a one-time process is involved. Yes, God cleansed us of our sins of past when we accepted him as Lord and Savior. Yes, he cleanses us of our sins today if we ask him for it. And yes, he will cleanse us of our sins tomorrow by the same blood, by the same sacrifice that was made on the cross of Calvary. So we must realize that our sins are not cleansed once and for all, but as we sin, we must come back to have them cleansed again and washed from our body. This we often do not do. The blood of Jesus Christ is an ongoing process of cleansing us from our sins. But let's back up just a bit to the word walk there in the seventh verse. If we walk. Now, walk is a, a natural process. Not one of us has to think about walking. You do it automatically. It is a second nature in that you do not even consider it. When someone says, let's go, we get up and start walking. You don't have to think. Now let's see, does my right foot go first or is it my left that I do first? Do you have any idea which foot you put forward first? I doubt that you do. Why don't you? Because you don't have to think about it. It's your nature. My mother can tell the difference between my father and I by one process if we're at a distance, and that's how we walk. 
there's a hill behind the house where I grew up. And uh, as I would go up that hill, or my father would go up that hill, uh, my wife and my mother could stand in the kitchen window, and they could not tell us apart by our physical appearance, but they knew exactly which one it was by our walk. You are known by your walk. You're known physically by your walk. You look way down the street and you'll see somebody and, and you'll inquire, who is that? And you'll say, it's her bell. How do you know it's her bell? Because I can tell him by his walk. I just pick you out of her to use you as an example here. I don't know if you have a peculiar walk that everybody would recognize or not. But we all have our little peculiarities that we're recognized by. But the important thing is, how is our life in relationship to the world? Are we known by our life, by our walk? This is where it's important. And it ought to be second nature. We ought not stop to have to stop and think, well, how am I going to walk today? It ought to be a part of our life so much that we don't even think about which foot we're putting forward. It's always going to be the foot that will lead to giving God glory. Amen. But how is our walk? This is the question. We can walk in the self-sphere or we can walk in the God-sphere. But the scripture tells us that if we walk in the self-sphere, we are walking in darkness. If we walk in God's sphere, we're walking in light. And the fifth verse, if you back up to that, says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we walk in God, we walk in light. And it ought to be second nature. If we walk in God's sphere, then we walk with sweetness. We walk with sensitivity. We walk with devotion. We walk with purity. We walk with reverence. We walk in the honor of God. We want to give God the glory and not self. How is your walk? Let's move on to verse 8. When he says these words, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There is an assumption made here in this verse. The assumption is that a Christian will sin. I've only known one person in my life who said that he did not sin. 
He could not believe that after he became a Christian that he sinned. Listen, folks, just because we are Christian doesn't mean that we have escaped all of the problems of this world and all of the sins of it and all of the desires to participate in sin. A Christian will sin. He will sin because he is frail. A Christian will sin because he's weak. A, sin, a Christian will sin because he is led astray. He will sin because he is deceived. Or he will sin simply because he loves that which is sinful. But we will sin. And I would not believe you at all if you said you do not love sin. And you better not believe me if I ever told you that either. Listen, folks, there's plenty of things in this world that we delight in, that are a joy to us and a pleasure to us, and we think that we just must participate. But they're anti to God. We cannot assume because we have become a Christian that we have escaped the desire to sin. For Satan will always be trying to get us to slip backward. And do that which we know is wrong. He'll always be trying that. I don't know if you ever drank liquor when you were not a Christian or not. I'm not going to ask you if you drank it now that you're a Christian. I'm going to assume that you don't. You see, that's a terrible assumption. I don't believe that everybody who goes to a tavern for the purpose of getting beer is, is a sinner. I, uh, well, they're all sinners that go there, I'm sure, but I think a few of them are Christian who frequent there for the purpose of, because you like it. A few other things we could mention as well. There's something we love. And it's hard to break away from, from those habits. But the scripture says, if we say that we do not sin, what is the response? We deceive ourselves. Now let me pause there to make this notation. We may be deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're not sinning, but we sure haven't deceived God. Can you think back this week of something you might have done that nobody knows about but you and God? You may have deceived yourself into thinking that you haven't done anything wrong, but you haven't deceived God in that process. You have sinned. You probably haven't even done too good a job of deceiving yourself because deep down in your heart you know it was sin. Yes, a Christian will have sinful impulses. He will have sinful inclinations. A Christian will not always have high standards. Some of the standards of Christian people will be very low. A Christian may have weak principles. He may have a will that is not very strong. He may have sinful appetites. And to deny that we are faced with these things is to deny the Word of God. We must, as Christian people, recognize that we sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But we have not deceived God. Now look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, we got into this Wednesday night. I already had this sermon prepared. And there's some character on Wednesday night that sort of got into my sermon a little bit. I'll not mention him. Those of you who are here know that we got into this subject of discussing it. So I, I must, in order to keep the continuity of my sermon, maybe repeat myself just a bit or some of the discussion we had. So please forgive me if we do. But notice the phrase, if we confess our sins... Now, let me say, and I know I used this statement Wednesday night, that I do not believe that there is a need, and there is nowhere in the scripture that I can see it that we must do it, come out in front of a full group and put out a laundry list of all the things that we've done wrong, that only I know about. Those are my private sins between me and the Lord. But this was the conclusion of that Wednesday night thing. For sins that have been committed publicly and the church knows about it, society knows about it, we have no choice but to publicly confess our sins. Not again by giving a laundry list, but by coming forward and saying, I have not been as the Lord wanted me to be. I am asking God to forgive my sins and I'm telling the world that I desire to live for Jesus Christ anew and afresh. That's exactly what is required of a person who becomes a Christian. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll do it publicly. Because the Lord commands it as a world announcement that you have rejected your old life and you've accepted a new life in Jesus Christ. The same thing continues with us as Christian people. As we commit our sins in this life and make ourselves less than we ought to be, less than a testimony ought to be from a Christian, we must come back again and tell to the world that we have sinned, that we are repenting, and that we're starting afresh trying to put things back in order. There are times that we as Christian people need to come forward in a church service and simply by that process say to the congregation, look, my life before this church and before this community has not been godly. I am turning around from that kind of life. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ as much as I can. All right. Look what he says. If we confess our sins, then what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Did you see that word? Not only to forgive, but to cleanse. Back in Jeremiah 31, 34, we have the words, I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God has one weakness. Don't turn me out before you hear the answer. God has a weakness. He can't remember. 
Once you have asked him to forgive you, he does and forgets. Isn't that marvelous? When you do something against me or I do something against you, it's pretty difficult for us to forget it. Thank goodness God isn't that way. God can forget it and wipe the slate clean. And when we stand in the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and give an account of ourselves, those sins for which we have been forgiven have been blotted out. There's nothing there. He used that whitener that takes out the typewriting. And it's a blank space. He can't remember. We need to tell our sins to God. To ask for forgiveness. And what will, do, what will God do? He says he will cleanse us. Or as Isaiah 1.18 says, And though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool, and though they be red like crimson, they shall... Uh, let me start over. I got two words mixed up. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's what we need to do. All right, quickly, let's go on to chapter 2. Look at the first verse. If any man sin... Now, we've already said that every person will. So it's a foregone conclusion that we will sin. But I want you to notice the word. If we sin, we have an advocate. An advocate. Webster says that an advocate is one that pleads the cause of another. If you sin, against whom do you sin? You sin against God the Father. It's against him. Now you're going to have to plead your cause before God the Father. But the scripture would indicate you, you really can't do that. You're going to have to have an advocate. And it's Jesus Christ who stands at the right hand of the Father, taking your petitions to the Father and pleading your case and your cause before God. If you sin, you've got an advocate. But look in verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation just isn't a normal word we use every day. Do you have any idea what it means? Let me tell you what it means. It means one who takes the wrath. Now let's read it over. He is the one who takes the wrath for our sins. Did he not take the wrath for our sins when he hung on the cross of Calvary? He became sin who knew no sin. By his stripes we were healed. You want forgiveness of your sins? Ask Jesus Christ to be your advocate before the Father. And he'll take the wrath. And you won't have to. One last thought in verse 3. If you keep his commandments, 
Hereby we do know that we know him. You want to know how you know if you're a Christian? Right, here's the answer. How can you be sure that you're saved? Here's the answer. Listen to it. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. What are his commandments? We could go back to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and that though those were given by God to Moses for the Hebrew people. Matthew chapter 22 is one place you'll find them. When Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Let's just go back there. I want to read it exact. Chapter 22. At verse 37, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to some Pharisees. The Pharisee asked him, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answers, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. But he didn't stop there. Notice what he said. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law of, and the prophets. Two commandments Jesus gave. And he said here, John tells us that we know we are saved when we keep his commandments. And what are they? Love the Lord our God with all our heart. And right tied to it is number two. And love your neighbor as yourself. When you have done that, there's no doubt that you're saved. How is your walk? Do you love the Lord? If there are problems in your life regarding your walk with the Lord, this ought to be a time of settling that situation. If you're not a Christian, you're invited to come forward during the singing of the invitation hymn and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Ask him to forgive your sins save your soul and begin that walk with him. If you are a Christian already, but your walk has not been what it ought to be, you're encouraged and invited to make that known. Come forward as an act of rededicating your life to the Lord to, for, to get your sins forgiven and start again living as the Lord would have you live. Will you do it as we sing our invitation here? Page 62. Number 62. We wait for decisions to be made, need to be made. I'll meet you down front. And then shortly afterward, Annie and I will go make preparations for the baptizing. Just as I am, will you come as we sing?
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.